So today, we begin a new teaching series. It's called Waiting is the Hardest Part. It's a study of the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And, and my guess is that you've probably never read it. Uh, it's okay. W one of the things that I've discovered in teaching the Bible over the years is that if the name of the book sounds like a sneeze, Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, chances are people have never read it. So let me fill you in. Habakkuk was what we call a minor prophet, which doesn't mean he's any less important than the other prophets. It just means that his writing is shorter compared to the likes of, of Isaiah or Jeremiah. That's all. Uh, but this minor prophet packs a major punch, and it's one of my favorite books. I come back to it year after year. Because as you'll see, his message is one that we can all relate to, especially right now. Habakkuk was a prophet in a time of angst and struggle. Uh, God's people were under a severe threat. They were waiting for rescue. They were waiting for peace. And Habakkuk himself was waiting for God to speak. He was waiting for God to speak to him so that he, as a prophet, might go out and give direction and comfort to God's people. Uh, this little book is all about waiting on God in times of uncertainty and stress and all of the questions and the wrestlings that come along with it. Uh, questions like, like, why are we in this mess in the first place? And when will all of this be over? And, and what should we be doing in the meantime? And will life ever go back to normal? Do any of those questions sound familiar? Uh, of course they do. It's like Habakkuk has been reading our text messages. What we'll learn in this series as we study this short book, as we eavesdrop on this minor prophet, what we'll learn is, is how to wait well, how to wait in faith. He'll model for us how to wait in such a way that we move beyond being, being bothered by having to wait and, and the fact that things aren't perfect to being peaceful even confident and triumphant in our waiting. In fact, that's the journey that Habakkuk himself makes in this book. Uh, we'll, we'll hear, we'll, we'll listen as he moves from being bothered and wrestling with why to being confident in God's goodness and at peace. So let's dive in. Today, we'll tackle Habakkuk chapter one. Some people are simply unwilling to admit when their life is a mess. It doesn't matter what's happening. Their world could be falling apart, but you would never know it by asking. Have you ever met someone like that? I mean, you could catch them crawling out of a car wreck with their face bloodied and clothes torn apart. And if you ask them, are you okay? They'd be like, me? Oh, <laughs> I'm good. How about you? And they tell themselves that they just don't want to be a bother to other people. And then there are those who never stop telling people their problems. Do you know that person? It's as though they spend all day trying to find the saddest, most depressing fact about their lives so that when they see you, they can listen to you for like three seconds before sharing that sad, depressing fact about their lives with you. For many of us, when it comes to our relationship with God and with God's people, we, we fall into that first group. No matter how crazy life gets, no, no matter how stuck we get in some dark sin, no matter how, how lonely we're feeling or how anxious and overwhelmed we become, 
we, we simply refuse to let the words, I'm not okay, come out of our mouths. It's as if we don't want to be a bother to God or to other people. But, but here's the first thing I need you to grasp as we get into this book. And I know it's something I say uh, on the regular, but it's important. What Habakkuk models for us is that it is, it is okay. More than that, it's healthy. It's a sign of maturity to confess, to confess to God and to his people that life is not okay, that it's not what you'd like it to be. As a prophet, Habakkuk really had just one job. It was to protect God's people. That's what prophets do. They protect, not with armies, but by arming them with the truth. A prophet's job was to discern what the threats were to God's people, both internal and external, and then speak God's truth about that trouble and move God's people to respond to the trouble with faith. Habakkuk lived and worked in the 6th century B.C., and he could tell that things were not headed in a good direction. Internally, God's people had abandoned any semblance of spiritual faithfulness. Uh, their leaders were all corrupted by other influences. And externally, various threats were mounting. At the time, God's people were split into two kingdoms. At this time, Israel in the northern kingdom had already been conquered by the Assyrians. And Judah in the southern kingdom was being threatened by the Babylonians, also called the Chaldeans. And they were terrible people, uh, truly. History is, is filled with descriptions of their horrors. Uh, they were frightening. Uh, imagine if Thanos or the It Clown fathered an entire nation of villains. Yeah, they were that bad. And, and Habakkuk knew that their spiritual deterioration on the inside made them vulnerable to an attack from the outside. And so he, he did what any good prophet would do. He, he didn't gloss over it. He, he didn't ignore it. He, he didn't assume somebody else would deal with it. No, no, he spoke up about it. And he said, look, look at the situation that we're in. Things are not okay. Specifically, specifically Habakkuk, through, he, he yelled his frustrations about the situation up to God. L listen to what he says. Habakkuk chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 2, he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or to you cry violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? In other words, why aren't you doing anything? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise uh, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Now, now this is part of what makes this little book so unique. Uh, unlike other prophetic writings where, where the prophet is, is writing to God's people, uh, this is Habakkuk's personal writings. Uh, this is him writing to God in, in preparation to speak to God's people. It's as if in reading this book that we're reading Habakkuk's sermon notes or his prayer journal. 
And what we see is a man throwing all of his frustrations over all that's wrong and and all the waiting for it to get better and for him having to wait to get some direction from God. And he takes all that frustration and he throws it right back in God's face. I mean, you could argue that, that he gets angry with God. Look at what he's saying to him. When was the last time you got angry with God? Now, now often we'll get angry at God, but that's not the same thing. It's it's more rare that we'll get angry with God. Do you know the difference? Getting angry at God is where you're you're frustrated with him. You've got questions, concerns, and and frustrations for him, but, but you keep it to yourself and you kind of pout. But being angry with God is when you actually take your frustrations and you give them right back to God. Um, uh, In in a tear-filled prayer, expressing your anger. In in words, shouted at the heavens, proclaiming your worries. It's that moment where you're singing in church with tears in your eyes and your teeth clenched because your heart is demanding that he do something about your situation. It's where you shake your fist at your heavenly father. Have you ever done that? Did you know that you can do that? Some some of us grew up with this this backward notion that that it's never okay to complain to God. Uh, That the only proper prayer is, dear Jesus, feed the poor and forgive my sins. Amen. But that's not true. And that's one of the reasons why I love Habakkuk, why I love this little book. Because he reminds us, he models for us, That just like in any other healthy relationship, it has to be safe to wrestle with our worries out loud and to articulate our issues and to respectfully yet yet honestly air out our frustrations. And so he says to God, look, uh, my people are acting like idiots. Uh, They've given up on you, God, and they're taking advantage of one another. It's chaos down here, and we've got an enemy gaining steam out there. And what I want to know, what I have to know, God, is when. When are you going to do something about it? Tell me. That's what Habakkuk does. But rather than do that, you and I, we often choose to play a game with God. It's the same God we play with one another when we're frustrated or hurt. It's a game called, I'm going to make you guess. Those of you who are married probably know this game. You get frustrated about something, but rather than just say what and why, you decide to wait it out. I'm going to wait to see if he notices that I'm mad or figures out what's wrong. And we wait for them to come crawling to us. And until then, we, we put on a fake smile and we say that we're fine. And on the inside, we silently stew. You know this game. And we think, we think we're like punishing the other person, but we're really just punishing ourselves. Because in the meantime, we're miserable and mean. Our issues remain unnoticed, and we're holding someone we love accountable for something that we've given them no opportunity to address. But that's not what Habakkuk does. And it's not what you and I should do, either in this relationship or any of these relationships. Now, some of you might say, but Matt, what's the point? Why do I need to express my frustrations up to God? I mean, you've taught us that God is omnipotent. I mean, he knows everything, including what I'm struggling with. And he's sovereign, meaning he's going to do what he thinks is best anyway, right? So why do I need to cry out to God? Well, I've got two reasons for you. First, it's it's dangerous not to. Yes, dangerous. 
It's dangerous while you're waiting to just keep your frustrations and your questions hidden away. Because when you do, three things build up. Anger, shame, and accommodation. All of which drive us away from God. I get angrier and angrier that my situation hasn't changed. And then I feel shame that I'm struggling like this. And worst of all, we begin to accommodate it. We figure out a way to just live with the issue rather than deal with the issue. And as those things grow in you, there's this space that grows between you and God. And that space between you and God is dangerous. Second, we should express our issues while we wait, because despite what you think you know about God's omniscience and his sovereignty, he has promised to listen and to respond to us. And if you don't believe me, then then hear what Jesus himself has to say. Uh, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? You wouldn't do that. Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus' point is this. Look, even a bad parent knows that he should give his kids what they need. So don't you think that God, who calls himself our Heavenly Father, and who is a way better parent than any of us could ever be, don't you think that he he wants to listen to us and that he will respond to us with good things? Or or consider this from, from the book of Hebrews. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that that Jesus has become our high priest through his death, we are forgiven of all that separates us from God the Father. And and Jesus, as high priest, is the one who grants us unlimited access to the Father's goodness. Uh, This past week, uh, the church around the world celebrated Ascension Day. It it commemorates the moment where, where 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven and took his, his rightful place on the heavenly throne at the right hand of the Father, where at this moment, He is actively reigning and ruling in this world. And as part of his reign and his rule, what Jesus does is he leans over to the Father and he advocates for us. I mean, every time that you pray, every time that you raise an issue up to God the Father, that's what happens. Jesus advocates. You lift up a prayer, a complaint, a need to the Father, and Jesus, because you're marked as belonging to him in in your baptism, he leans over to the Father and he says, remember, she's yours. She's forgiven. She's good and right and holy in our eyes. Let us listen to her and answer her and help her as we see fit. Out of his empathy for our problems, having lived here and died and and, and risen again here, Jesus himself is right now personally assuring that God will grant some kind of mercy and grace to each and every one of us. Let me ask you, 
Do you believe that? I mean, do you? Because it's true for you. Now, once we've, we've poured out our frustrations, uh, there's just one thing left. And, and I will admit to you, it, it's not an easy thing. Once we've poured out our frustrations, we must continue to wait and then eventually submit to God's answer. And God always answers. Uh, that word submit is, is a difficult one, I know, but it's important. Uh, look, God is not in the business of just telling us what we want to hear. No, no, he tells us, he, he gives us what we need. He tells us what we need to hear. And sometimes what we need to hear are not his explanations for why things are the way they are, but what we need to hear are his promises. And when all he gives us is his promises, we submit to that. And by the way, when God doesn't seem to be saying anything specific, that's what he's doing. He's not ignoring you or leaving you on red. What he's doing is he's leaving you with the promises that he's already made to you. And we just have to embrace them and submit to them. Sometimes what we need to hear is no and not yes. And we have to submit to that. Sometimes what we need to hear is that it's going to get worse before it gets better, but that in Christ, it will eventually get better for good. But until then, we have to submit. Habakkuk got an answer to his question. God told him that he was raising up the Babylonians as an agent of judgment against his own people. They had given themselves over to godlessness, so God was going to discipline them at the hand of a godless people. I'm going to go ahead and guess that that wasn't the answer Habakkuk was aiming for. I mean, God even says, uh, look, you're going you're gonna to struggle submitting to this. L listen to what he says. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. God knew that it would be tough for Habakkuk to grasp how a good God would allow a time of such difficulty, how he would allow uh, the evil Babylonians to crush his people, and yet how somehow in the end it would all work out for good and his promises would still come to pass. It wasn't going to make sense to Habakkuk. It wasn't going to sit well with Habakkuk. He was just going to have to submit to it and trust God in the midst of it. And that's tough. Maybe you're wrestling with all this right now as you wonder, how could God allow my high school senior to go without a prom or a graduation? Or when will my furlough from work end and my bills be paid? I, I, I feel you. But listen to me, it is better for us to cry out to God and then to have a posture of submission, to, to trust in his plans, than to just wrestle and wonder and worry in silence and wonder if he even has a plan. But waiting really is difficult. When things aren't what they sh should be, it's so hard for us to wait for them to get better and to trust God in the middle of it. Uh, that's true whether you're waiting for a pandemic to end or, or for a child you love to come home or for your health to rebound or, or, or for your congregation to finally, finally come back together. It really is hard. It fills you with questions, but, but hear me on this. 
asking those questions, being honest about the struggle, does not show an absence of faith. No. If Habakkuk models anything for us, it's that quite the opposite is true. It's part of a a healthy, active, and maturing faith. I mentioned at the start that Habakkuk is a strange name. It is. But it has a beautiful meaning. In Hebrew, it means one who embraces. As a father might, might embrace a child to comfort the child, that's what, that's what it means. Habakkuk, Habakkuk's name literally means, uh, I'm a hugger. It's the perfect aim for a prophet who existed to comfort people and to help them embrace the truth and a life of faith in response. It's also a perfect name because of what we see in Habakkuk. He embraces the difficulty of his situation. He embraces the questions. But then he hands them to God. And as we'll see as we move forward in this book, he he chooses ultimately to embrace, uh, to, to believe in God's goodness. It's okay to admit when things are just not ideal. And you can throw your frustrations at God. Like a parent urging their teenage daughter to share her heart no matter what it is, God wants to hear it. I hope you believe that. And like toddlers who want what they want and struggle to comprehend any possible explanation, we we must learn to submit. Having faith that God is good, and embracing, embracing the promise that whatever he's up to, even if it's something we don't like and can't really grasp, embracing the promise that, that it must be what is best. More next week. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we find ourselves in a season of waiting waiting for this pandemic to end, waiting for things to get back to some semblance of normal. And in the middle of waiting, we are filled with whys and, and we are filled with, with, with wrestlings. And we ask, Father, that, that you, would, you would draw those things out of us, that we might lift them up to you rather than just hold on to them, rather than hold on to our frustrations, rather than hold on to our questions and our wrestlings, rather than keep it all bottled up and pretend that we're fine, that we would lift those things up to you and we would trust you with them. And that we would believe that that having such wrestlings and wonderings and questions doesn't mean we have a weak faith, but no, doing so is an expression of a growing and active and healthy faith. And then, Father, after we've expressed all that's going on within us up to you, help us to have a posture of submission to whatever you give us in response, whether whether it's just your promises, whether it's whether it's an answer we, we, we don't really like, whatever it is, help us to embrace it and to trust, to trust that you are good and that you love us. We ask all of us in Jesus' name. Amen.